This is Island Lake State Park, about 20 miles west of Detroit. It's an idyllic, bucolic setting, but in 1898, this was a bustling military camp with five infantry regiments training to fight in Cuba during the Spanish-American War. Two of those regiments did make it to the fight in Cuba, creating the first connection, really, between Michigan and a small island nation just 90 miles off the coast of Florida. Little did they know that half a century later, that connection would continue. But this time, the connection would be with cars, American cars, designed and engineered in Detroit. On today's show, I want to take you to Cuba and show you how that connection continues. After that, I'm going to bring two experts on the show, experts in classic cars, and talk about what car collectors will do when Cuba opens up and Americans can freely travel there again. I call this documentary, Stuck in Time. Almost anyone visiting Cuba will get the sense that the country is caught in a time warp. Beautiful old buildings that point to a proud past literally crumble in front of your eyes. Fading billboards exhort the citizens to remember the revolution, which now took place half a century ago. And daily life goes on much as it always has. But what really captures the feeling of being caught in a time warp are the automobiles. Everywhere on the island are classic cars, mainly American models from the 1940s and 1950s, whose odometers have rolled over many, many times. Most are kept running with patchwork repairs that barely keep them chugging down the road. Some are lovingly restored and proudly put on display. A few special ones have even been moved to a dusty depository until a proper museum can be built for them. The Cuban people have had a love affair with the automobile ever since the first horseless carriages rumbled down the streets. The first automobile came in Cuba in 1898. For example, in the part of the commerce, in 1917, there were in Cuba 153 marcas different For most of its history, Cuba was the wealthiest nation in the Caribbean. Indeed, Cubans used to buy over 100,000 new cars a year. But today, Cuba is one of the poorest countries in the region. The average Cuban only earns about $10 a month. That's not nearly enough to maintain an automobile, to fill the tank when gasoline costs $3.50 a gallon, or to spend up to $1,000 to purchase an old car in good condition. Most people who own a car inherited it, and they treat it as a treasured family heirloom, passing it down from generation to generation. This car has been the property of my father for more than 30 years. 
Bueno, este auto lo compró el, el padre mío el 14 de junio de 1956. Sí ha sido, el cubano tiene tradición de automóvil. El cubano de por sí, la gente le dice que el cubano es cacharrero, porque siempre, aparte son los únicos autos que se pueden comprar, ¿no? O sea, que han pasado de dueño en dueño, de dueño en dueño. Y hay algunos que no están muy buenos, pero bueno, es el carro que el cubano puede comprar y que sí puede ser de él, ¿no? Un carro que sí. Most of these old cars in Cuba have to earn their keep. Their owners use them as taxis, and they can be seen lined up waiting for customers on the streets of every major city. Even though they don't charge much for a fare, they don't have many customers. Taxi rides are something of a luxury for most Cubans. Besides, they face plenty of competition. In the smaller cities, people ride in horse-drawn buggies that trot down the street or they balance precariously on the back of rackety motorcycles. They pile into blaring diesel trucks or line up and wait for old Soviet-made buses that trundle down the road. Perhaps the oddest public transportation conveyance in Havana are these converted semis, called camel trucks. They get their name because of the way the trailer in back seems to form the two large humps of a camel. Up to 150 people can cram their way into the trailer. They can be incredibly uncomfortable. But with a fare of only two pesos, or about 20 cents, they're one of the best bargains going. And yet, despite the competition from other transportation sources, despite the expense and hassle of keeping the old cars going, the Cubans who own these cars go to great lengths to make sure they keep on running. Due to the American trade embargo, it is very difficult for Cuban car owners to get parts directly from the United States. No es muy fácil, no. No es. No es muy fácil. Pero bueno, uno siempre lucha por para traer las cosas más, eh, por ejemplo, el capurador, para traer lo original, como el de él, eh, el deco, el distribuidor, eh, cosas así que se pueden ir trayendo. Porque ya cosas más grandes no se pueden traer. While they could buy parts from other countries, they usually can't afford them. Besides, their cars are so old some parts would be difficult to find in the best of circumstances. So they usually end up improvising some sort of repair. And their ingenuity is downright admirable. Ni para ninguno. Cuba no existe en casa restaurador. Entonces aquí todo es muy artesanal. Los mismos huerafangos se hicieron por unas fotos que teníamos. The steering wheel on this 1925 Chevrolet Superior K was made of buffalo wood that was softened up and shaped by soaking it underwater in a marsh for two years. This Chevrolet badge was hammered out on a garage floor. This Ford logo was painted by hand. Some Cubans even make their own brake fluid 
using a mixture of mineral oil and the sap of the igareta bush, a kind of fig shrub. But that means they can't go too fast because in a panic stop, the brake fluid could fail. And as a result of these makeshift repairs, most cars have parts and components from other makes of cars and different types of vehicles. Sí, de eso hay cantidad. De eso hay la inmensa mayoría. La inmensa mayoría están con motores de petróleo, de diésel. Eh, otro tipo de motores, no tienen el diferencial, no tienen la caja, en la transmisión, como se dice. Eh, eso sí hay bastante. Pero originales, quedan muy pocos. Quedan muy pocos. Many of those who have the patience and dedication to restore their cars have joined the Automobile Club of Havana, which started in 1901. They meet in the morning on the third Saturday of every month in the famous Plaza de Armas in Old Havana to show off their cars. The display always attracts crowds of Cubans and foreign tourists who gather to admire the shapes and designs, the chrome and the tail fins of these classic American automobiles. Bueno, los miembros del club son todos los propietarios de los autos y también todos aquellos que que no han podido tener un automóvil, pero que le gusta todo lo que es la vida del automovilismo, ¿no? Ahí hay mecánicos, hay chapistas, hay pintores, eh, hay quien tiene una gran biblioteca de, de libros que habla sobre el automovilismo, que también y personas muy amantes al automóvil que aunque sus posibilidades no le pudieron dar esto, pero sí lo, le aman, le gustan y también tienen derecho a, a estar con nosotros y participar con nosotros en todas nuestras actividades y ser miembros también del club. Then, horns blaring, the drivers and club members pile into their cars and begin cruising in procession through Havana, down the famous Malecon, the seawall that was built by the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers around 1902, past the world-famous Hotel Nacional, past mansions in the beautiful neighborhood of Miramar that look as if they belong in West L.A., and which today are the homes of foreign diplomats and some of Cuba's world-renowned artists and sports figures. Then the club members gather for lunch at a surprisingly upscale venue that offers plenty to eat for everyone. These are somewhat upscale Cubans. Typically, they're members of families who owned businesses before the revolution and whose cars have been in the family ever since. Many receive support from relatives in the United States who fled the revolution, which helps them fund their passion for their automobiles. And in a way, the club and their beautiful cars allow them to maintain a certain social status that harkens back to pre-revolutionary Cuba. The Cuban government permits this kind of club to exist because it's so obviously focused on car culture and on restoring old cars. In fact, the government itself supports a little-known car museum tucked away in a dusty warehouse 
in Old Havana. Actually, it's called a depository because the cars in here are awaiting the time when the government has enough money to display them in a proper museum. But it's an impressive little collection, with the oldest piece being a Meriwether fire pump from 1894. It has cars ranging from a 1905 Cadillac Model E to a 1980 Daimler Jaguar that was donated by the British government. There are a couple of European sports cars and a handful of Harley-Davidsons. The depository also includes a number of old trucks, including this World War I-era Mac that was kept running on the streets until 1971. But the two most important cars in the museum are this 1959 Oldsmobile 98 and this 1960 Chevrolet Bel Air. The Oldsmobile was owned by Camilo Cienfuegos, one of the heroes of the Cuban Revolution. The Chevy was owned by another revolutionary hero, Ernesto Che Guevara, with a fascinating background story that may never have been told outside of Cuba. Pero sí le puedo decir un secreto. Eh, che Guevara recorrió América Latina en una bicicleta con motor. Eh, pero él no sabía manejar automóviles. Y aprendió en Cuba, en la Sierra Maestra, con jeeps capturados a, a la, al ejército de Batista. Aprendió a manejar. Y después cuando vino aquí a, a, a La Habana, andaba en un Studebaker en bastante mala condición y tenía a veces problemas para llegar a determinados lugares en función de su trabajo hasta que un buen día se cruzó con, con alguien que tenía que ver con el problema este de los automóviles eh, me imagino que haya sido el Ministerio de Transporte y le dijo que él no podía seguir en esas condiciones teniendo problemas a cada rato con un automóvil que ya estaba era muy antiguo y además tenía muchos problemas mecánicos y entonces casi obligó al comandante Ernesto Che Guevara a ir a, a, a lo que era una planta de la General Motors donde se ensamblaba automóviles, esa planta era un negocio que había hecho General Motors con la mafia y después bueno quedó en Cuba eh, a que escogiera uno de los automóviles que se ensamblaban allí para su trabajo. Y él decidió escoger este. Another vestige of the Cold War that can be found on the AM radios on the old American cars in Cuba is the Conelrad warning system. Conelrad stands for Control of Electronic Radiation and was used to warn of impending attack from nuclear missiles. Ironically, today, most Americans either don't know or don't remember anything about the Conelrad system. Yet, here in Cuba, you can still find Conelrad radios, the very place from which Soviet-made nuclear missiles threatened the United States in 1961. It was this Cold War mentality that led to the American trade embargo, which persists to this day. And yet, with the exception of Israel and the Marshall Islands, no other countries support the U.S. embargo. 
The members of the United Nations have consistently rejected and denounced the embargo. Many of them openly trade with Cuba. The only problem is, being a poor country, Cuba does not have much to trade. So you do not see many new cars. There are a smattering of old Russian-made Ladas. More recently, a few Citroens that are made in China have been imported. And there's even a dealership in Havana that sells a few Fiats made in Poland. European and Korean models round out the rest of the new cars that you see on the streets. But these new cars are far out of reach of the typical Cuban. Besides, the people here have a special place in their hearts for the old American classics. These cars have become part of the native culture and even a source of revenue for those who don't own one. Tourists to the island actively seek out rides in these cars and shop for souvenirs that they'll take home to show off to friends and neighbors. Though the official currency is the Cuban peso, the real currency is the U.S. dollar. Even the Germans, Canadians, and Italian tourists who frequent the island have to pay for everything in dollars. Today, the Cuban government prohibits these old cars from being sold and shipped off the island. But at some time in the future, that is likely to change. Someday, the island will open up, and car collectors from around the world will flood the island, ready to snap up the greatest collection of historical cars. But until that day comes, these American classics will continue to rumble down the streets as they always have. A snapshot from another era that is stuck in time. I hope you really liked that stuck in time and what it was all about of what's going on in Cuba. Now to get into a little bit of what's going to happen sometime here in the future, I've asked two experts in classic cars to join me today. Ken Lingenfelter is the head of Lingenfelter Performance Engineering. Great having you here on AutoLine Detroit. Thanks, John. Glad to be here. And McKeel Haggerty is with Haggerty Insurance, a company that specializes in insuring exotic and collector cars. And great having you here as well. Thanks for having me. In fact, McKeel, you've been to Cuba, too. And we all know at some point, for Americans at least, the barriers are going to come down, the embargo is going to be lifted, and We've got all these tremendous classic cars down there. What do you think is going to happen with them at that point? Well, it's absolutely part of the imagery of uh, landing in Cuba and being there and, and you know, experiencing the place of seeing all those great 50s-era classic cars. It'll be interesting to see, you know, will people rush in there and sort of buy these time capsules up? Uh, you know, I'm minded to think that, you know, probably people will really find them of interest and be willing to go down there and even pay quite a bit for them. On the other hand, you know, some of the people that I met down there who were really passionate about those cars, I don't know if they'd let them go very easily. In fact, right now, I believe it's illegal for those cars to leave the island. So, you know, even though anybody from elsewhere in the world can easily and do travel down to Cuba, Americans do not. But I know that uh, the Cuban government instituted a law that said you can't take them out of the country. Now, maybe that would change at some point in the future as well. Yeah, that's right. I mean, I, I think it's, if, but if they view it as part of their cultural heritage now, maybe, maybe they will be protected. 
Ken, you're a guy who collects cars. You know, if Cuba opened up, uh, is there anything that you would want to go down, kicking around through garages and walking up and down alleys looking for? Yeah, you know, I think I'd have a lot of fun doing that. Um, I'm passionate about cars, period. And so I would be really anxious to see what's down there, what's available. And my understanding is a lot of those cars have been put together with coat hangers and chicken wire and all the kinds of things that you, you hear about. But uh, obviously there's got to, be some, got to be some diamonds in the rough there. And uh, I, I'd be interested in seeing what's available. Sure, why not? As, uh -huh. as I say, yeah, you're right. A lot of them are, are just rusted out. In fact, I, I say they look like piles of rust just rolling down the road. But some of them are uh, in an awfully good condition, and it's taken a lot of artisanship to keep them running that way. But, uh, Mikhail, there are cars, even in this country, that are totally rusted out, but if they're rare enough, somebody will go in and fix them all up. Oh, absolutely. It's all a, you know, a matter of perception, and if, if people feel there's enough value in the car to uh, you know, restore it, they'll absolutely restore it. Uh, you know, my experience in Cuba is, I remember one night we were picked up in our hotel, I was down there with a bunch of, of you know, businessmen just sort of checking things out. And I jumped in this 57 Cadillac, I guess it was, or a 56, and the guy turned the key and it had a Peugeot diesel engine in it. Um, and it just the clever, you know, mechanical efforts they went through to keep these things on the road. And it looked great. I mean, it honestly, by an Amer you know, it looked like a lot of cars you'd see at a cruise night. It wasn't a Concours car, but, you know, they're, they're pretty proud of what they're doing down there. They're pretty proud, and everybody that I met down there that owns a car absolutely is a mechanic. You, you have to be able to fix this thing on the side of the road because chances are you will end up doing just that. Well, that's something I'd kind of be interested in because I've been known to take a V8 and put it in a 914 Porsche or <laughs> something like that. So <laughs> that would be fun to see. I agree. You'd like That'd to see great. how they've swapped different engines sure. and transmissions into these cars, although you do it for performance. They, right. keep, they do it just to keep these things rolling along. Right, sure. Is there any specific... 50s era car now i mean it's it's mainly 50s era but there's all kinds of cars you know as we saw in the documentary the the first car went to cuba in 1898 mm -hmm. which is just a, a phenomenal uh, uh really piece of history to think that cars that long ago were showing up on the island but is there anything out there that you think man uh, there's a long lost car maybe they've got it in cuba you know, I don't know, but any time I see any kind of film of Cuba and those old, old cars, I see a lot of 55, 56, 57 Chevrolets. And uh, anybody gets passionate about those cars. And so I'll bet there's a ton of those down there and, uh, and some in some really good shape. So I'd like to see those. But Yeah, there are. There are a ton of them down there, especially those. General Motors must have been the dominant car brand or, you know, car company back when. Anything that you would be on the lookout for? Well, Bill? I mean, maybe, of course, all of those would be interesting. I think maybe a little bit more on the exotic side. You know, it'd be really interesting to see if any of the Grand Prix cars are still kicking around there. You know, that... Old uh, race cars. Yeah, the race yeah. cars. And in fact, I, I asked a number of the people down there and, a, and some tour guides. I was just sort of, uh, you know, checking it all out. I said, so is there anything that's a race car stuck anywhere that you see? And the one guy said, well, there, are, there is a guy I know who has a bunch of cars that are shaped like cigars with oh wheels. Gosh. And I'm like, uh -oh. I like cigar shaped. <laughs> I'd like to talk about those because, of course, it was a pretty famous incident in uh, 1958 when Fangio was sort of kidnapped. I Not guess. sort of. He sort was of. kidnapped. Yes. Well, and it was a friend of ours, Denise McCluggage, who broke that story. She was a, a woman who was a racer, raced with a lot of those guys, but she was not allowed to race in Cuba because she was female. And so she was down there as an automotive journalist. She broke the story. And, you know, he was kidnapped, but he, he, 
you know, it was a they, friendly they kidnapping. Very, yeah, it was very friendly kidnapping. In fact, the very first interview I ever did as a journalist was with Juan Manuel Fangio, oh. and he told me that story. Hmm of how they kidnapped him. So they treated me very well and they let me watch the race on television. <laughs> so even though he wasn't able to go to the race, they did at least watch, let him watch what was going on there. Ken, is there uh, anything that uh, you think that would attract you to go to Cuba in, in terms of looking at cars or just going there to take in the island and, and see these things in action? I'd probably want to do it all, but I'd like to see those cars in action. Uh, you know, the fact of the matter is, where do you go to a place where you're going to see all those old cars on the road? I mean, in your piece, I saw a section where you said something similar, and I had to sit back and think about that just a little bit. All those old 50s cars, that would be a really great thing to see. So I'd love to do that, sure. Well, you must share that. The same thing. You, you saw it yourself when you were there. Well, yeah, they're just, it is absolutely part of their culture. I mean, I, it's, it's sort of hard to describe at this point that, you know, here are these cars that are, you know, sort of time capsules driving around on a regular basis and truly the pride. I mean, it's like every, you know, well, we all say that every time we drive a vintage car, it's like a car show. I mean, for them, it's, it's real every day. I can't imagine, though, uh, that you guys would be interested in 70s era uh, Russian Ladas or Nevas or anything like that, because you do see a number of them on the island as well. I, you know, I don't think I'd be going in that direction, to be <laughs> honest with you. But, you know, again, I, you know, when I'm in Europe and I look at the cars, I, I'm so focused on what's going by me and what's on the road coming up. And so I, I know I'd get a kick out of it. I know I would. It's always fun to look at things that you don't see in your everyday life, whether right. it's cars or whatever, but in this case, cars. Well, thanks both of you for coming in. Ken Lingenfelter from Lingenfelter Performance, McKeel Haggerty from Haggerty Insurance. Great having you here. And thank you for having tuned in. And I really hope that you enjoyed Stuck in Time.